0: What can an accountant actually do to help you with your finances? How do you know if you need an accountant? And if you do need one, what qualifications should they have? And do you actually need a specialist medical accountant? On today's podcast, we answer all of these questions and more, and we also go into the mistakes that non-specialist accountants make, and these broadly fall into three categories around the pension, specifically the NHS pension, around mileage claims, and around tax-deductible expenses. So, I hope this is helpful and this isn't intended to be negative against non-specialist medical accountants, but one of the reasons that me and Ed built Medix Money was because we noticed that non-specialists just didn't have the knowledge to deal with doctors accountants. And that's why we built out the largest independent network of specialist medical accountants that have been through our rigorous due diligence process now that ensures that they actually are a specialist and even better, they have reviews from hundreds of doctors like you. So, I don't want to be negative against non-specialists. If you are a non-specialist, sorry about this, but we really need to drive standards up so that doctors get the best financial help for the best price. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, and I'm guessing this is not going to include any non-specialist accountants, but if you are, do hit the like and subscribe button and that really helps us to grow. Thanks so much for listening. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP, and by me, Dr. Ed Cantilow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice, and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, it is my pleasure to welcome for what I think is your podcast debut, Michelle Trivett of Sanderson Lang Specialist Medical Accountants.
1: Hi, Tommy. Thanks very much. Yes, it is my debut.
0: (laughs) Welcome, welcome. So give us a bit of background about yourself and how you ended up just working with doctors for your sins.
1: So in my sins, I decided when I was younger that I wanted to work in travel and tourism didn't work out at all well and I thought actually I quite fancy doing something that's a little bit more stable I quite liked the office vibe and I ended up doing a bookkeeping course took it from there actually really enjoyed it ended up managing to get a training position in a small local firm where I lived at the time and they happened to have a side wing of dealing with GPs that's my first entry into dealing with doctors and I actually ended up really enjoying it um From there, I took it on and qualified. And I've worked with doctors and medical professionals ever since. So I moved from there into a practice that only deals with doctors. And I've always really enjoyed that. So I've now worked with doctors, GPs alike for probably 15 odd years. And over that time, you get to learn all the nuances of the NHS and the pension scheme and the complexities and how things develop. You get to understand how doctors need help with their finances and what they're looking for as well. There are accountants who don't actually have to, you don't have to be qualified to be an accountant. Um, you can just... Call yourself an accountant without any background knowledge at all. You don't have to be regulated. So it is really important to try and make sure you've got somebody who not only understands the NHS side of things and the doctors and the medical and what's needed and what's expected, what your claims can be. But also somebody who has got that regulation behind them and that has gone through the experience and the training that's needed.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up because not a lot of people realize that, you know, anyone can call themselves an accountant. It is not a regulated term. And in fact, anyone could call themselves a specialist medical accountant as well. And again, that is not a regulated term. And I guess that's part of what we do at Medics Money is make sure that we're just dealing with the very best of the best who actually are genuine specialist medical accountants. But one question that we get asked a lot, Is, you know, you mentioned there are non specialist accountants, but what is the benefit of using a specialist medical accountant like yourself? Like, why not just use the local accountant at the end of your road and files your tax return each year? No worries.
1: We find with the specialist medical accountants, they are somebody who knows their industry inside out. They have a really good understanding for the fields that they work in. At Sanderson Lang, we only work with medical professionals. In the few instances that we don't, they are family members of our medical clients. That's essentially the only exception to the rule. Otherwise, all of our clients have got that medical background. From our point of view, it means that we can understand exactly what doctors need and what they want in relation to help with their finances. We understand how the NHS works. Little things like what effect does a PA have on on your taxation, on your pension rights? How does the sessions work with the GPs? How does the pension work with the GPs? Which is, again, very different to how the consultants will deal with things. The dental side of things, again, is very different. That's something that a generic accountant would not have that understanding and knowledge. We've come across many accountants who look at the NHS pension scheme and have no idea how to deal with those calculations on looking at the annual allowance side of things, which, of course, has been very key and in the headlines over the last couple of years. Understanding how changes in pensionable pay will affect that and the small things. On the slightly lower end of the scale, we've got what can be claimed against your employment income. Can you claim conferences and your training costs against your employment or are they solely for certain other things? It's knowing what can be claimed when for you and what those deadlines are
0: yeah definitely and i think that's a major part of why we set up medics money because we noticed that non-specialist accountants were much more likely to make mistakes and there was no kind of sort of idea of what constituted a specialist so we made our own specialist and that's worked out really well for everyone so that's good One question that I'm sure you get all the time and we get all the time as well. And also, every time I mention this on the podcast, then the chancellor goes on to change the rules and I have to just rip the podcast up and do another one. But like, should I use a limited company? Should I be a sole trader? Should I be self-employed? Break down like different trading structures and the tax and other advantages therein. Because again, this is something where we see non-specialists have an absolute shocker all the time because they don't understand the nuances that interact with it all. So tell us what we should do. Hi, Matthew here, and I've got under a minute to tell you five reasons to check out what medical school doesn't teach us. And podcast by Medics Money for med students at F1 Doctors. Number one, investing early. Find the true power of starting as early as possible and getting towards financial freedom. Number two, improve that credit score. You'll be very likely surprised at what can actually impact your credit score. But don't check it out just yet, as I've still got three reasons why you should check out MSDTU. Number three, moving to Australia and beyond. What? Number four, entrepreneurs from across the world of medicine, from Beyond Health Tomorrow to EGP Learning, who are changing the game. Number five, your own well-being. Because seriously, what's more important than that? You can find all these episodes and more on your podcast player of choice. Search for What Medical School Doesn't Teach Us, or find The Medics Podcast Network. 47 seconds. Boom. To those of our listeners that are interested in having a side hustle, earning extra money is extremely easy and stress-free with today's podcast sponsor, Sermo. Sermo is a social media platform only for doctors that, among other things, offers paid medical surveys tailored to your area of expertise and which you can take from the comfort of your own home or on the go. What's more, you'll be able to connect with 1.5 million members worldwide, get second opinions and keep up to date on medical news all for free. You can join now at sermo.link forward slash medics That's sermo, S-E-R-M-O dot link forward slash medics money. Hope to see you on there.
1: you need to get tailored, specific advice. When it comes to limited companies, when we're looking at partnerships, when we're looking at sole traders, the structure is very much dependent on an individual's own personal circumstances. Your personal circumstances will be very different to the colleague who sits next to you and earns exactly the same amount of money and you'll have different needs. That is a key planning decision for you. It also depends on where you are in your career. Somebody who's just starting out doesn't really necessarily fully know what they are going to be earning and they will have very different expectations for somebody who's at the other end of their career. They've also got very different needs in what they want to do with their money. Having that understanding of what key thresholds are going to impact you is really important. Like you mentioned, the Chancellor is constantly changing things. We're constantly having to revisit all the rules and the legislation. At the moment, we've got the £100,000 earning threshold limit, which has been there for several years, at which point you then start to lose the tax-free allowance. Income above that can have a very penal tax rate historically in the past some people haven't been too concerned about that depending on where they are and they've wanted to keep their incomes below the 45% tax threshold which has now actually just been reduced and that now it it is much more of a consideration as well. The other end of the scale we've got the pension allowances so five odd years ago people could only earn £110,000 a year from all sources of income And this is where we've had a lot of confusion. Some accountants think that's just your NHS income that we might be looking at when we're looking at the pension side of things and the annual allowance calculations. But it's not. It's all your income. So if you do have private income, private practice, whether that's locum fees in whatever shape or form, it may even be in your rental incomes or your investment portfolios. We are looking at your total taxable income when we are looking at your pension allowance. That has now obviously increased and we've got limits of 200000 We've also had the change as of April 2023 in the increase in the pension annual allowance. But that doesn't mean that can be completely disregarded. So... Understanding what structure is best for you is really important, but having an accountant that can help you to understand how that affects you with your pension and with your NHS income is really important as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because as you said, it's just about, it allows you to control your taxable income in some situations, which you mentioned one example there. I mean, is that kind of the level where you would start, if you haven't thought about this before, where you should start to think about it, if your income is approaching 100,000, you mentioned that you get in that marginal rate. So the marginal rate between 100 and 125, 140, I think it is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's effectively 60%. And you're thinking, well, hold on, the highest rate of income tax that's out there is 45%. But because of this quirk of losing your personal allowance, your tax-free personal allowance, you effectively pay 60% tax on any extra pound earned between 100 and 125 on 40. And you lose your tax-free childcare if that's relevant to you. So is that like the minimum level where... You would sort of start to think about if one of your clients came along, where you would start to think about limited structure, or is there other ones as well that I've not thought of?
1: Generally speaking, it would be the hundred thousand would be the first point that we would normally consider. That at some point, most doctors will earn more than a hundred thousand pounds in their careers, in obviously in one particular financial year, and at some point, they're going to want access to that cash. Whilst you can take that money at 40% tax, you might as well take it rather than at some point in the future, maybe paying that, like you mentioned, that awful 60% penal rate of tax or the 45% rate of tax. So whilst the tax rates are as they are at the moment, we would usually say 100,000 is your first kind of cutoff and threshold, essentially. At that point, everybody's got different thresholds and it's assessing what that threshold is for you as an individual. At the high end of the scale, we would always try to say, try and keep your personal incomes below 200,000 because of the pension side of things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just explain that because lots of our listeners will know why that, but some won't. So the reason to stay under 200 is because of the taper, right? Do you want to quickly dip into that?
1: Correct, yes. So it's. A lot more flexible now than it was three or four months ago. But essentially, when you exceed £200,000 of taxable income, your pension allowance begins to reduce. So in the same way that when you reach £100,000 of taxable income, you begin to lose your tax-free allowance, your pension allowance also reduces. So we now have a pension allowance every year of £60,000, as long as your income stays below £200,000. If your income goes above 200000 we then have to now add your pension growth on to that figure. And if the two t- sums together come to more than £260,000, you start to lose some of your £60,000 pension allowance. That can be reduced to as little as £10,000. Your actual pension growth is then assessed against what you're allowed to have. And you potentially may have a tax charge on the difference. We are allowed to look at the previous three years as well. So depending on the situation in the previous three years, depends on whether you have a tax charge, essentially. It's a nasty, complicated field.
0: (laughs) Yeah, best left to specialists. But you're talking about the carry forward there with the three-year carry forward. You know, as I'm kind of meandering my way through medicine, I see a lot of locum GPs that are trading... As limited companies and then I kind of get chatting to them and I'm sort of like oh so you know that you can't contribute to the pension scheme if you're trading as a limited company and they're like oh my accountant didn't mention that oh you know do you know any good accountants I'm like, oh, yes I do where are you with like the pros and cons of being a limited company if you're a locum GP
1: That will largely depend on what other sources of income you have. We see a lot of the GPs that we work with will generally have some form of salaried income as well as their locums to top it up. Ideally, somebody would try potentially to have maybe four to six sessions of pensioned income a week. If they've got that and then they're just locuming on the side, you know, if they've got maybe a six-session salaried role with potentially some local income on top and they really don't need that income, they might have some rental income as well, a limited company potentially could work quite well for them. If somebody doesn't have any salaried income at all that they are pensioning or it's a very low level of salaried income that they're pensioning, then the limited company with a locum might not necessarily be the best thing for them. Yes, they could use a private pension scheme you don't get the same level of benefits and it's nowhere near as cost efficient as the NHS pension scheme so it is very much assessing that and trying to work out what's best for everybody really
0: yeah yeah I think as you said you just gotta take advice specific to your own circumstances but that's definitely an example of that there when you take over a client like a doctor from a non-specialist what is like if someone's listening to this and they've got a non-specialist accountant and they're thinking, oh my goodness, like what's what's my non-specialist missed? When you take over a, a client from a non-specialist accountant, what are the big kind of errors that you see? And by the, I'm not like judging the non-specialists. It's more of a reflection that the NHS's doctors are so complicated. But I mean, we see some absolute howlers, but I'm just interested to see what the biggest mistakes that you see non-specialists make.
1: I would say the biggest ones we tend to find would be to do with the NHS pension calculations. A lot of the non-specialist accountants just don't know how to handle it. The NHS pension scheme has essentially got its own tax rules that are unique for the NHS pension scheme. So if you have got a non-specialist accountant, they generally do not understand where to even start with them. That's usually the big one we find is not dealt with correctly. Other ones we have found can be motoring expenses. So there was a very high profile case around 10 years ago that went through all the high courts with motoring expenses. And that clarified very clearly what can and can't be claimed when we're looking at mileage with private practice and things like that. The non-specialist accountants won't necessarily have the understanding and the knowledge of that. And we have found some very high mileage claims going through people's tax returns, when in reality, if you look at what is and what is not allowed in line with that court ruling, it can be very different in reality. Yes, it can mean that you have had higher tax relief in the past, but unfortunately, it does mean if HMRC then catch up with you, they have got that precedent in the court case in the past, and they will not take any victims. It's a very clear cut ruling, unfortunately. I suppose the third factor that we have found is generally when we're looking at CPD costs, CPD costs, generally speaking, it's very, very grey in certain areas as to where they can and cannot be claimed on tax returns and that's not necessarily understood very clearly by the non-specialist medical accountants unfortunately in a lot of cases they can't always be claimed against employment income
0: yeah definitely i think that's like three great examples like the biggest thing of a pension is that the non-specialists get confused between the annual allowance if you're in a non-NHS defined contribution scheme is just the growth it's just the contribution I'm getting confused so <laughs> you know the, the contributions is super easy it's just how much have you contributed but in the NHS a defined benefit scheme it's the growth and so I've literally seen non-specialists just say to somebody, oh, yeah, your contributions are under 40,000 for the year in the NHS pension scheme. You've got no worries. Well, unfortunately, that's completely wrong. It's the growth, which is where the problem comes in. And yeah, I mean, anytime HMRC have a clearly defined test case, then they just apply that template directly to your circumstances. And I see some very high percentage of business mileage going through. And it's just. It's such low-hanging fruit for HMRC to pick. And yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that one. Okay. And then in terms of like, if you're... Sat there now and you're using a non-specialist and you're trying to work out is my accountant any good, right? <laughs> what should we be looking out for? Like let's just say you didn't use medic's money to find your accountant, oh dear, and you didn't go to Sanderson Lang, oh dear. You've just got your accountant who's your friend's brother who does his limited company accounts and he is a IT contractor. How can you tell? if your accountant who is a non-specialist is any good?
1: I would say have a chat with them, sit down with them and see, ask them questions about the NHS pension scheme. It wouldn't hurt to then go and speak to a specialist medical accountant and just see, do you get the same level of advice from them? Most accountants will provide half an hour or an hour as a free initial consultation. It can't hurt to just go and have a chat with them and find out, are your accounts being done within reason? We see that quite frequently. We'll have clients come to us and say, like, I'm using somebody that's non-specialist. I don't actually know if my accounts have been done correctly or not. Do you mind just reviewing them for me? Does everything look okay? You know, as you mentioned, Tommy, we've had some clients saying, you know, their father's helped them or their brother-in-law has helped them and things like that. They're non-medical, but they've got a little bit of accountancy knowledge. Does everything look okay? And we'll just have a look through them. If there are any significant issues or anything that's like wrong, (laughs) as it were, we'll point that out in a nice way. At least then you've got all those facts in front of you and you can understand and you've got that knowledge as to how things could improve. You also get a real it's really good to have a good working relationship with your accountant. So just sort of keep that communication flowing. You get a feel whether you like working with them or not and how you are able to correspond with them. If they answer your questions clearly, then generally speaking, you know you're fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's like a good initial sort of test. Yeah, I mean, obviously... The ultimate is to use medics money because our due diligence process is a little bit more than the core questions that you just asked. But I think that's a reasonable start, definitely. And just remember that accountant is a non-regulated term. So even myself, without any qualifications, could call myself accountant, which is a bit scary.
1: Well thank you very much Tommy for the time with you this morning. If anyone does want any further advice we're happy to take any inquiries. Our website is www.sandersonlang.com. Please do feel free to jump on there have a look we're all on there as well of our contact details there's also an inquiry button as well and I believe you can also find information on us on the Medics Money website.
0: Awesome so good to have you on and thanks for your time.